Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and co-host Tobias Wright. We're live on 89.3 FM WNUR Evanston, Chicago. Now, look, you want your voice heard, right? 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio What's your opinion on what we're talking about? Call us, 847-866-9687. We're also streaming live on wnur.org slash popup. All right. The fall opera season is just around the corner with San Francisco Opera, L.A. Opera, Lyric Opera of Chicago, Washington National Opera getting things going this week. Our team reveals the shows they have to see this fall as well as some of the shows that are just wishful thinking. Plus, you get all your opera headlines, our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. Going to be a great show tonight. Great to have Oliver Camacho in the house. Hello. And Tobias Wright in the house. I'm also here, and my microphone's going to work the entire evening, and Let's I can see. stare at Oliver's head. Oh, my balding head. Your balding head. <laughs> don't look. Don't, it's don't. the worst. It's you. the worst. It's not. I, I mean, I think you look cute. I used to be so cute, like in my 20s. And <laughs> I was looking at pictures of myself, and I never felt cute when I was in my 20s. And now that I'm like not in my 20s and I see pictures of myself, I'm like, oh my God, I could have taken advantage of cuteness and gotten so much tail. Does this have something to do with your weekend? <laughs> no, but I have to say, I had an amazing weekend because I was the soloist for the opera scene. Of Final Fantasy VII, uh, Maria and Draco. Um, there is. Wait, an, where was this at? Okay, so there's this orchestra called the Distant Worlds Orchestra, and they play music from Final Fantasy the game. And this is like their 30th anniversary year, and like their 10th year of doing these oh, concerts. Whoa, okay, and it's this is a real thing. It's a full-on orchestra, full-on <laughs> chorus. It sounds like something that would be made up, but it's not. Full-on orchestra, full-on chorus with projections of like the cinematic scenes of the video game. And I guess in Final Fantasy VII, and I, if you stalked me and you're listening to this show because you were there, sorry I didn't know the, dom- the dramaturgy behind this, but apparently in Final Fantasy VII, there is like a little mini opera and the player has to memorize the lyrics to the opera in order Whoa. to advance the next level, like okay. a, a locked achievement. And so all the people in the audience knew what I was about to sing and it was completely stressful, but I pulled it <laughs> off and, I, and they're an amazing audience. Like they jump to their feet and applause. When they hear the set list, they scream. When the composer comes out, they scream. After every piece, they scream. Like it was like being at a rock concert and it was fully in a classical vein. Like it sounded like Strauss, Tchaikovsky, that type of and thing. You, you were know? the rock star. 
I was. Wow. I've I never love this, had. Oliver. I've You're never glowing had, right now, by the way. I've never had that type of <laughs> response for my singing. And people were literally stopping me in the streets. It was sold out to performances. I went out to dinner between performances, and people were like wanting to take a picture with me. You know, uh, so. B- Bears fans were, were screaming at you their team as well sports. this year. Isn't video games like sports these days? Uh, no, it's not. Mm. Except Bears fans <laughs> were screaming obscenities because the Bears suck. They do. I, I mean, I, they're not the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sorry, George. Kansas City rolling to two and zero. Rolling, dude. They're gonna win the Super Bowl, and That's then such a lie. And then, no, but if Kansas City wins the Super Bowl, you know what that means for me? I can quit being a sports fan, because then all of my teams have have won a championship, and I can finally like lay to rest, wasting time watching sports. That's what Cub fans said, and now look at Cub fans now. Like everybody's on the bandwagon. You know, Cub fan. The Cubs win a game, and like Wrigley Field smells like farts for a week because everyone's so happy. <laughs> Wait, Oliver, I have a question. Did you sign any autographs? I didn't, but I took a lot of pictures. Did you know anybody that you took pictures with? No, but I actually met one of the uh, audience members before the concert, and he figured out that I was like the guy singing because I don't know how. And so I asked him to take a picture of me while I was on stage because I didn't know anybody else who was going to be in the audience. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> Sold out two performances. Like, that's like good for you. Almost 5,000 people Seriously. that heard me sing. Good for, you. good for you. Talking to the Cubs. First segment tonight. Hometown team. <laughs> How about we root for the home team? Baseball season's underway. The Cubs gonna that. win today. Just listen. From Cubs baseball to Baroque opera. Mm-hmm. First segment tonight. Hey, give us a call, by the way, on Opera Box Score, 847-866-WNUR. We're talking about what we're looking forward to this fall. It's got to be in the fall. September 1st to December 31st. That's the window mm. that I've put together. This fall, there are 484 performances of 109 productions in 47 cities. And that's just in the U.S. Mm. I will say that only eight of those are world premieres and only 11 mm. new productions. That's mm. disappointing. And how many are conducted by women? Uh, probably about two. <laughs> Opera bass, I'd have to dig a little bit deeper. And how many of them star a Mexipino out. singer? A Mexipino. Yeah. I mean, Paul Corona is one of them. So. Well, so we went around the table here at the OBS and we tried to talk about a show locally and a show uh, that was beyond our reach that we were interested mm. and excited to see this fall. All right, who's going to go first, Oliver or Tobias? Well, you already went with the broke, so let's hear Oliver. All right, well, you all know that I'm crazy about early music. And next month, like one of the nerdiest things in the world is happening. And it's sort of like, you know, uh, like a convention of dorkiness for me, like that I want to be at. Tell Uh, us more. John Elliott Gardner, Sir John Elliott Gardner, uh, one of the pioneers of the early music movement, a scholar and an iconic conductor, is bringing what he calls Monteverdi 450 to Chicago. Mm. Uh, this is a 16-city tour of the Monteverdi trilogy of operas. Hmm. They are done with the orchestra on the stage. Uh, the It is semi-staged with some suggestion of costumes and some suggestion of props, but no set design. So the singers have to really, like, be engaging dramatically. They're doing Orfeo, you know, Ulysse and um, Popea. 
And uh, yeah, they're doing them in uh, almost three consecutive nights. They're doing it on a Thursday, Friday, and then a Sunday matinee. Where? Here in Chicago at the Harris Theater. At the Harris. At the yeah. Harris. So Wait, are they period movement? Like, what's happening there? Semi-staged. They're semi-staged. They're not, they're not doing full stage. No, so, no, yeah. no, I know, yeah. but I mean, like... There, a lot of Baroque opera, like if you're gonna really do it. Yeah, you have to do really, the gestures. Like, so I think they're, I think they're doing the just, the gestique, but I don't think they're doing. Okay. They just don't have like the set design. You can whatever. close your eyes, Toby. It's okay. You and me. <laughs> oh, I yeah. won't be going. <laughs> but this has been getting rave reviews in the European leg of the tour. It just arrived in Paris. Like I think they they go up this weekend. Uh, it went to Edinburgh Festival. It was at Salzburg. It was in the Fenice Theater in Venice. Uh, it was in the UK at Colston Hall, which is in Bristol. Uh, it's been in various places and the reviews are like categorically outstanding. Cool. And I have to say that like, um, I don't like necessarily John Gardner in Monteverdi, but I have so much respect for him for being one of the conductors and scholars who really tried to figure out how these operas were meant to be performed musically and peeled away all of the, you know, late 20th century stuff that was put onto these operas when they were first remounted and now we have a much more what we think of as an authentic version well it's a great conductor it's three great operas yes of course and they are what's your clip well they i just say that these operas are like the birth of opera as we know it like orfeo is like totally like new music in its time and wasn't even performed for paying audience it was just performed for like other musicians and like royalty and stuff like that so it's all it's really out there and trying to establish what became, you know, Baroque opera, maybe 30 or 40 years later. Then late career, two operas, because we lost a bunch of them between his first and his last, Return of Ulysses, which is an example of one of Monteverdi's first public operas, opera that was performed for a paying audience. And you see how the focus became on um, a much more like engaging story with action and some comedy and some vulgarity. And um, they had less money, so there's less orchestra. There's more, um, there's more singing and more continuo, but not like all the, you know, wild instrumentation that we found in Orfeo. And then his last opera, the opera that he wrote, was like I think in his last year actually, Coronation of Popea, is, I mean, downright vulgar. I mean, like it hmm. is a political opera with lots of sex, lots of scandal, stuff that people wanted to see, you know. Right. And um, yeah, the the story of Popea is still shocking even today. Like. The, the hero and the heroine of the show are amoral people, you know? Um, so anyway, and Popea is one of my favorite operas of all time. So we're going to listen to cool. actually one of the four duets from Coronation Popea. The last duet is very famous, so we don't have to hear that. We're going to hear the third duet. Uh, this is Justin Kim and the soprano singing Popea. She has one of these names with a lot of diacriticals in it. So I'm not going to okay. try to pronounce her first name was Hannah yeah. and yeah. you can figure it out. Go to the Monterey 450 website or the Harris Theater website. Um, but uh, I wanted to play Justin Kim because he's a local boy and mm. this is our local hometown team. Right. So the, I have to say really quickly, the cast for these operas were handpicked by Sir John Elliot Gardner and they rehearsed like last summer. Uh, they all got together like in Venice. He called it like the Academia Monteverdiana and where he just like got them together for a couple of weeks or maybe even a month and they just like sang through Monteverdi scores and he taught them what he knew about Monteverdi. Wow. Then they all went about their lives and then they like, signed the contract for these operas and they've been on tour literally all summer long doing them. So by the time they get to Chicago, which is the first U.S. stop, they have done these things cold. 
they're adding to the cast, just for the U.S. cast, uh, Reggie Mobley, who is an American countertenor, in the role of Arnalta, which is going to be great. We're going to talk about him later. We are going to talk about him later. But Justin Kim is a Chicago uh, native, I want to say. He went to school at Northwestern University. He studied he's, with Terry Brancaccio. He's famous for his Chichilia Bartley impersonation. Mm-hmm. There's like a, he calls it Kim Chilia Bartley or something like that. It's an, if you look him up, it's amazing what he does in drag. He also has makeup tutorials. I think that maybe his agent made him take them down, but if you look carefully for, wow. I think I am Justin Kim or something like that is, is his handle on well, YouTube. going to get him in trouble. No, no, it's fine. He, he's amazing in front of the camera and he has turned out to be one of the most brilliant sopranist sopranist countertenors. I mean, you normally hear this opera done with a mezzo or even a soprano singing mm-hmm. the role of Nero, which is originally cast as the castrato because even countertenors can't sing this high. Yeah. But you won't be able to tell the difference between the soprano and Justin Kim in this because I their voices... I think when I've seen it, it was sung by a mezzo. Yeah, well, now he sounds like a soprano. And like really? I bet you, I mean, it'll be hard for you to tell which is which in this clip, so... So this role of Nero has been historically very hard to cast because uh, all stage directors want to have a very masculine presence for Nero. And one of the solutions that has been, even up till recently, used was just putting an octave down so that it was a tenor singing with uh, a soprano. And that doesn't work with Monteverdi's original concept because in this era of the Baroque, 
uh, love uh, was seen as like the best expression of love was seen by two equal voices, two hmm. equal voice types. Okay. So a lot of the love madrigals and the sexy music is voices in very, very close harmony. Uh, and so sometimes, more often than not, they have to find a mezzo soprano to sing this, and a more a masculine one at that. And so, Alice Coop <laughs> seems to be like the solution for that go, all the go time. To so, gal. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the soprano's name is Hanna Blashikova. I think I'm saying that wrong, but that's my attempt. And uh, countertenor, Korean American countertenor, Justin Kim. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We are talking about what we're looking forward to seeing live in person this fall. Let us know what you want to see. Tweet us at Opera Box Score. You can also just post on our Facebook page. Tobias Wright, what are you dying to see this fall? I don't know that I'm dying to see anything, um, but one thing that I am excited to see is the second leg of the Lyric Opera's new production of Wagner's Ring Cycle, and that is Die Valkyrie. Um, George and I went and saw... Uh, Ryan Gold last year together. Mm. And, yeah, it was, that was like, a nice date, dude. It, it was a great was date. Mm. I mean, we didn't make out, which well, is that's cool. We held hands. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you got caught it. stealing first. <laughs> <laughs> but what's with the like gay panic? Okay, Relax. go. Like, never go. Mo- um, let the man talk. Uh, so I really loved that production. Um, I had seen Wagner done at the Lyric before and hadn't really enjoyed it. I saw a production of Parsifal that I thought was dry, um, and I really thought that the singing was poorly. It was just bad across the board. Yeah. Um, and so I was nervous to start the ring cycle. Um, but what I loved last year about Rheingold was that the production really asked the audience to take some uh, take their take creative liberty with their own imagination and to really follow along. Because uh, the scenery wasn't machinery, um, and the costumes weren't out of this world. It was, we're going to tell you the music, we're going to project, you know, and specifically what I'm thinking about is the very end, the Rainbow Road to Valhalla. Do you remember what it was? It's like a whole bunch of bungee cords, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I loved that idea. It was almost cartoonish in And Valhalla was lyric opera. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so it was kind of cool. I loved that concept in that, dude, it's a fantasy suspend belief for a little bit come with us and i thought it made it so much more enjoyable because i think about what they did with parsifal and it just it was too much it was crazy there was like lasers being shot on stage and things flying around that didn't need to be flying around and i was like what is actually happening and then the music sucked you know what i'm saying so i'm excited to see valkyrie um also, it has a fantastic cast. Cast is great. Um, Christine Gerke, as- Brunhilde, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Jovanovich is Zygmunt, uh, Eric Owens returns as Votan. So it's like uh, world-class singers. And what's great about these world-class singers, too, and not that this really matters or affects uh, or changes why I think people should go see it, but they're all American singers. And I think that that's kind of cool that three of the best singers in the entire world um, will be on the stage at the same time, and they're American singers, you know, um, I'm excited to see this show. I think it's going to be fantastic. So what do you want to listen to from it? <laughs> well, I, I think, it, is it Apocalypse Now? What is the, uh, it's the ride of the Valkyrie, but what is yeah. the movie? Apocalypse Now. Is it Apocalypse and based now? just about any other thing where they need this type of <laughs> apocalyptic. All right, we'll give, you, we'll give you 30 seconds of it.
That clip was from um, Houston Grand Opera. I you didn't think. take my. You you cut it out before Christine Gerke was about to sing. Hang on, buddy. And we're back. No, no, we dismissed it. They they switched it. So 107 is when she was. Anyway, if you if you, if you look online, an applause. There you go. So there's no right now. Uh, video yet of Christine Gerke singing Ride of the Valkyries, but if you Rest go, assured. if you look for the Canadian Opera Company little uh, preview, oh, you get easy. like 10 seconds of it, which we apparently cut out right before she started. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies for that, yeah. Christine. Yeah, it's a good choice, Tobias. I'm more excited for this one than I was for Rheingold. Well, I'm just excited oh. to see whether or not the production continues down the path that it started. It has or, to. I mean, you would hope so. Yeah. I, and it was it such a. Doesn't a, have to. I mean, look. This you is never a see a ring cycle with different styles between each. That's, that's like it's not true. The Star Wars movies with a different no, no. director with each one or something it's, like that's that. That's totally not true. They are doing a ring cycle right now in Germany in Karlsruhe, where the four parts are being directed by four different directors mm-hmm. who did not have consensus artistically before they started designing these productions. Hmm. One of them is being directed by Yuval Sharon, who's an American director. I read about these four guys. They spent like a week in Iceland, like hanging out. I mean, first of all, how hipster is that? But second of all, then they're like, they're basically doing their own thing. And as far as I can understand, there may be a common thread or two between those four individual operas. But we'll have to go and see, won't we? I am excited. Put put that on the wish list, I guess. I think. Too bad Karlsruhe is kind of a crummy town. To me, Valkyrie is also the most kind of ridiculous of the ring cycle as far as story goes oh my god it's my favorite one well it's fill in the gap piece you know what i'm saying like right. it's because didn't wagner work backwards right i don't know i i sure. think i, I think he was working backwards and so it's to me the story in this is kind of weird and so that's why another reason that i'm excited to see it because from this we get siegfried you know i don't know I'm think, excited to see it. I I'm excited if, to see the colors on the stage. I'm excited for the design of the production. And I, if you've never seen a Wagner opera and you're only going to see one, this is the Valkyrie is the yeah, one to see. This is, so. there you this go. is it. Hey, after the break, more opera box score. We're going to be talking about the shows that we wish we could go see. If only we could shake that magic money tree. Stick around on WNUR 89.3 FM opera box score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's right. George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho. Hello. And Tobias Wright. Oliver. Oliver always acts surprised that you mention his name. <laughs> He's like, what is He's this like, microphone why are you talking do? to me? <laughs> anyway, 847-866-WNUR, the number live in studio. You get to tell us what you are looking forward to this fall in opera land, it might be something that is within your reach, within your financial grasp. 
that's what we were just talking about. It might be a show that, hey, let's face it, you're probably not going to get to go see in person. You wish that was true. That's what our second segment is all about. But what about your pick for something yeah. local, hometown? The, the moment is come and gone. Oh. Sure. Whoa, I, I, whoa, 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 whoa. That's was, not fair. I don't have any music to play. I was going to say Rigoletto, which is it. But why? Because I've never seen it live. Wow, that's and like one of the most performed operas of all time. That's actually quite an accomplishment for someone whose life is an opera. Yeah, George, but, don't go see it. Yeah. That can be like your thing. Well, I'm that not... you've never seen Rigoletto, and you could just carry that with you forever. How about that for like a <laughs> cocktail party? Co- it's yeah. like something. Do you know I've never actually seen Rigoletto? <laughs> that's how I am with Harry Potter. I'm like, I never read those books. I never I've never seen The movies. Wizard of Oz. What? Or uh, a miracle in Fort Thirty Four Street, or it's a wonderful life. Yeah, back. like really classic American that. iconic movies. I haven't seen them. Yeah. You should come over. We'll watch them. We'll light a fire. Mm, Wait, George. Yeah. So I have a question. Do you actually want to see Rigoletto? In at the my lyric? heart of hearts. No. Not I really. hear you saying no. Okay. But why, look, why? I, but so your heart's not even in this segment, is it? Like, I think. It's why a, are you the producer of this show? Do you like opera? <laughs> I, I think it's a weak fall at lyric opera. Oh, All right, wow. that's that's what I. Well, think. why not recommend something wait, else in Chicago? What like, do you think is no? I'm because because I'm not gonna lie because uh, I, don't, I don't. It does have anything. Quinn Kelsey as Rigoletto and Rosa Faola, who's amazing, and Rosa Faola and Matthew well, and Polanzani. Dare I say Matthew Polanzani? Quinn Kelsey, he's an interesting guy. First of all, if you guys go to this guy's website, Quinn Kelsey, that's a man, by the way. Uh, he's singing <laughs> Rigoletto. He's been singing Rigoletto all over the globe this summer, and this dude is a he's big. Uh, have you ever heard him sing? He's no. incredible. Is he? Yeah. Oh, dude. He's one of my favorite singers. He looks really intense on this website. On his, uh, he is. Website. He makes your, he makes your chest rumble. I'll regardless, bet. it's, we're, doesn't matter where you're sitting. It's an incredible That's sound. That's what a letter should do. I, yes. I hope the production is, is more exciting and dynamic than the photographs. Because the yeah, photographs look, look kind of terrible, but a woman is directing dopey. it, so yeah. E. Lauren Meeker, she's a, you know a very accomplished. What does the E stand for? Elizabeth Esther. So okay, Esther. I say. George, I just have a question. You say you think it's a weak fall, so we have um, Orfeo, Eridice, Rigoletto, yeah. Di Valkyrie, Pearl Fishers, and Turandot. That's not a bad fall, man. But you. Look, you have to know, I look beyond the score as a director, oh. right? I'm looking, first of all, I'm looking at these drink. production photos. No, that's not a, that's not a drink. I didn't I say like anything about it. I think, no, I, I, I talked about Germany I didn't think in the it was first a drink segment. I think you were belittling me as a singer. About drinking, you can do it in the first segment, okay? When you look at these production photos, they are not exciting. They are not dynamic and... The the worlds that have been created, that's just not a world I want to spend a couple hours in. Mm. Nothing to do with money. It's nothing mm. to do with the artists being good or bad. There's a lot of factors about why one production is picked over another, why there's not a lot of new productions in this company. I gave you the stats at the top of the show. We shouldn't be surprised about this. We should just simply be disappointed. Again, I'm looking at the fall. When we get down to the second half of the season, Faust, new production, looks fascinating. Jesus Christ Superstar, cannot wait to see it. (laughs) Me and my brother, fellow travelers, super excited to see that as well. If there was a show that... I know I I probably can't see. Oh, actually, unless it's in a HD broadcast, it would be the exterminating angel, the Thomas. So we're moving on out of Adesse, Chicago. Please, we're moving out of Chicago here in the second segment. Uh, this is the Thomas Adess opera that was just at the Salzburg Festival. Thomas Adess, of course, wrote the Tempest. That's probably the most famous opera, or maybe Powder Her Face. Oliver, do you have an opinion 
on which is more famous, the Tempest or Powder Her Face. Powder Her Face. Yeah, that's what I thought too. It's because of the the BJ. Sequence. Yeah, also yeah. I think it was his first, but it was like his breakout piece. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic director, Tom Cairns. And I'm just going to play a little bit of this music here so you can see what, what you got coming up. Now that is what I call exciting contemporary music. And you take the Louis Bunuel film, which is a surreal fantasy about a dinner party from which these guests can't escape, and you've got a fantastic cast, Audrey Luna, Alice Coote, Christian Van Horn, Kevin Burdett, David Portillo, Sir John Tomlinson. I mean, it's the Met, oh, so obviously it's he's a, a like an icon. That guy, he is British based. He's, he's a total icon. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Oh gosh, I I wish I could go see this show. When is it, George? It is going to be in late October. I think we should create a GoFundMe so George can go. Oh, you kidding me? My wife would never let me go to New York <laughs> for a weekend. October twenty sixth. Maybe it's going to be on an HD broadcast. No, it won't be. So, yeah, you're right. Way too, it's way too populist. Mm. Yeah. Populist? To be HD broadcasts are too populist. I'm teasing. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not good. So let's see here. So, Oliver, you got to go first last time. Toby, we're going to throw it back to you then. Nice. All right, so. What is it that was in your... George, I like your pick. Also, in, in just talking about the Mets season... Um, I, what, how many, what did you say? There was five new productions that they were doing. And, I mean, two... My, I mean, my stats were like overall in the U.S. alone, in terms of um, new productions at the Met. It is it's obviously far less than that. It's one, two, three. But even for the Met, three new productions. I don't know. Like, because they're going to have the new Tosca, and that's going to happen around New Year's. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I wouldn't say that that's on my list. Um, actually, what was on my list, and I don't care. I'm just going to say it. Uh, it was in the spring. I'll get back to what I want to see for this fall, and I know you don't want me to say this, but uh, at Atlanta Opera, they're doing the world premiere Out of Darkness to Remain. Uh, Jake Heggie's the composer, Gene Shears the librettist, and it's a two-act opera about Holocaust survivors who are visited by ghosts of their pasts, and I'm like, wait a sec, that sounds amazing. I would love to see that. Well, um, I mean, Atlanta is a company that punches way above its weight, I think. Uh, I mean, look Creatively, at their, you mean? Creatively. Look, yeah. at their, look at their fall season. Seven Deadly Sins, the current vile piece, and mm-hmm. then Flying Dutchman. So this is a company that is tackling Wagner. Yes, that is one of the uh, lighter Wagner operas, shall we say. Mm-hmm. But Atlanta is still going for it. That's a new production, by the way. For well, Flying and they just did the, they did the production of Silent Night that now is going everywhere, too. So they've done massive productions very successfully. Um, so what do I want to see this fall? Also at the Met, they're doing a production, a new production of Louisa Miller. I'd love to see that. Pietro Bacchawa and Domingo are in that, but that's in the winter. So I'm going to go with going on actually currently at LA Opera is Carmen, uh, with Anna Maria Martinez singing Carmen and Brandon Jovanovich, who we already talked about here. Guys everywhere. Yep. Well, I mean, right. Oliver, you seem to not be a fan of his. Tell me I I don't want to, you know... Uh, trash talk anybody but i don't like his tone quality and um do you think I it's just, too I rigid just, 
I just don't think it's legato enough. I don't think that he phrases beautifully. And his physicality uh, is always very like heroic, but doesn't ever seem to be romantic to me. Okay, I can feel that because I he did Pinkerton at uh, he did Pinkerton yeah. at uh, San Francisco Opera in like 2008, and I don't think it was very romantic. But it's going to be great as Zygmunt. Yeah, he sort of reminds me of like um, like uh, what is this character from the ex- the the ex- the, the Pixar movie about superhero family? What is that? Uh, <laughs> with Dash was like the the son like. Pixar movie, expend, not Expendables, but like... Aven- I, wish I, do, I wish I knew what you are talking There's about. There's like a children's movie. It's Pixar. Buzz Lightyear. No, no. It's in that vein. George, you should know this. Uh, you're cars? the dad. No, it's like about superhero family. <laughs> oh, the Untouchables. Untouchables. No, no. It's, no, no. That it's was something the, like that. That was the gangster movie. Okay. Well, I'll figure that out, but he reminds me of the dad. Like, he looks like the dad in that, in oh, that movie. Oh, uh, yeah, Okay, yeah, but can I say yeah. something Very about square his, jaw, something like that, pointy chin. Yes, he is very handsome, though. But one of the things that I like about his voice is it's always there. So it'd be cool to hear him actually sing Jose because I feel like there has to be some more flexibility there. It can't be as steely, as rigid, as it probably... Yeah, I, dude, but here, here's the thing, all right? Directed the by, Incredibles! Okay, the Incredibles. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Look, Carmen L.A. Opera, directed by Ron Daniels, Associate Artistic Director at American Repertory Authority Theater in Cambridge, Mass. Very respected director. You look at these photos, there is nothing remotely exciting about this. If I see another production of Carmen with a whole bunch of ladies in red dresses standing on tables, I'm going to puke in my beer stein. All right? <laughs> Did you see the Carmen at uh, Lyric last year? That would be Mr. Incredible, just to close the loop on that one. So. Mr. Incredible. No, I did you. not see that, Carmen. Did you, Oliver? Did I see what? Because it was a new production. The my Car- brain was totally in Incredibles it, a minute ago. Dude, so it, was, <laughs> it was a quote new production because like, there was nothing new about it. How would you change it, George? All I'll say is you see the Carmen that I did this summer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you, I'm not even going to tell you where to look for it. I'm going to just say you can find the photos of it out there on the web. All right, carry the show for the next few minutes. I'm Googling. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, well, we'll throw, uh, first of all, we'll tell you that it's Opera Box Score, WNUR, Please. 89.3 FM. Again, talking fall preview, talking shows that we would love to see, and trash talking each other a little bit. It's over to Oliver now. Your turn. What's that show that you want to see, Oliver, but it just okay. might not happen? So, Everybody knows that I love singers. And I love the voice. And I will take over anything great singing. I, I mean, the production, the stage direction, the lighting, all that stuff, doesn't matter to me if the singing is not great. So one of the greatest singers, I think, right now performing is soprano Angela Mead. And in the spring, she will be performing one of my favorite roles, uh, one of my favorite operas, a Rossini opera called Semiramide, which recalls for a dramatic color to a soprano, which is what she is. Um, sort of a preview of her Semiramide and her pairing of um, co-starring with uh, Elizabeth Deshong, who will be her co-star in Semiramide, is the Washington National Opera production of Alcina uh, in November with Angela Mead playing the sorcerer role of, Al- of Alcina, uh, Ruggiero, uh, played by Elizabeth Deshong and Bradamante, played by amazing American mezzo-soprano Daniela Mack. I mean, Angela Mead is the bomb right now, and I think Elizabeth Deshong, through her uh, kind of collaboration or through her partnership with Angela Mead in this show and in the Semiramide in the late winter, has a chance to come into the spotlight. She's already really well appreciated in the Chicago area, 
But I think that uh, th- these two shows are going to really bring attention to her career, and she deserves it. She's an amazing singer as well. We don't have, unfortunately, a recording of Angela Mead or Elizabeth Shong singing any of the music from Alcina or from Samir Amade. What we do have is sort of another preview, uh, one of my favorite color tour mezzos, Vivica Genot singing the third act aria for Ruggiero, Sta Nelicarna. Um, sta, oh, I'm saying that wrong, Sta Nel Ircana. Uh, and the reason why I'm playing Vivica Genoa is because one of the local uh, early music groups here in Chicago, Third Coast Baroque, just announced their season, and they are, in fact, bringing Vivica Genoa to Chicago to do a concert with them. Oh. So this is sort of a preview of something that's happening later down the year. You know, Alcina has a dear place in my heart. It was really? the first Handel opera I ever worked on oh. as an assistant. And in England or here in No, Ch- it was it was at Wolf Trap, oh, actually. Okay. And a funny thing happened to me about the first week of rehearsal, it was unbearable. Oh, I was, I was gonna like, say, show me like, on the style where they touched you. So. <laughs> it was unbearable. It's like I can't believe I'm gonna be listening to this the capo aria again and again and this boring old music and then at the beginning of the second week the rehearsal process was three or four weeks and i totally got it man i totally got it and i got so into that music and all of a sudden like the heavens opened the music all the complexities all the nuances Hmm. came out and i got addicted to it and i couldn't stop listening that's so interesting that you said that because just last week you were poo-pooing haymarket opera company i wasn't poo-pooing the music okay Okay. Don't point right. at me. He's pointing at me, everybody. You can't see this. There should be a video podcast. He just pointed. No, we don't need a video the, podcast. Nobody uh, needs to see what goes on here. My burrito Director my shirt. for this, Alcina and Bogart, by the way, fantastic. Director Jane Glover conducting it. That's not surprising. Yeah, she's, she's 
great for Handel. So. Well, she knows what she's doing. Yes. I'll say that for her. Nice choice, Oliver. Um, just so, so everybody knows, think- I did go to George's website, and uh, I looked at his Carmen production, and it, it was not a bunch of ladies running around in red. That's for Boom. sure. There was a gun. There was, it was sexy. It e- looked intense. E-A-D. Looked like you had some people who sold out for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> well, you were like shirtless in uh, Lucrezia, so there, you should I, know. Also on George's website is a picture of me faking an orgasm for anybody who might be interested in that. <laughs> I get the best out of my Your show. face, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's uh, Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. we got to step aside for a couple of messages. When we get back, the two-minute drill... Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week, and it's only on WNUR and Opera Box Score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on wnur.org slash popup on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number, 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week delivered in two minutes tops. There have been more questions than answers since the news broke last month that the celebrated Oregon Bach Festival has fired its artistic director, Matthew Halls. More on that story in a minute. For a first-time festival, the Newport Contemporary Music Series boasted a program that might even make Tanglewood blush. A lineup with Philip Glass, Andre Previn, Howard Shore. That was in July in Rhode Island, organized by Paul Van Anglen, a 25-year-old impresario who then managed to present just three concerts before his dream cratered, leaving an estimated $120,000 in unpaid orchestra musician fees. Soprano Kirite Kanawa has announced that she'll never sing in public again. Quote, when I'm teaching young singers and hearing beautiful young fresh voices, I don't want to put my voice next to theirs, she told the BBC. Quote, I didn't want to hear my voice again. Conductor Ricardo Muti, who's 76, says this summer's Aida at Salzburg was his last. Quote, I will only conduct opera in a concert staging that does not require a month's work. I do not have so many summers left. I want to spend them with my family. On the disabled list, Jonas Kaufman is canceled at the Georgianescu Festival due to a bad quote. He says, please do know that I'm extremely disappointed as well to have to forego the privilege and the pleasure to sing for you. Also, tenor Andrea Bocelli has been hurt falling off a horse. The accident happened near Pisa where he had been performing in a gimmick concert conducted by a robot. Exit stage right, American soprano Brenda Lewis has died at 96. She sang for a decade with the Metropolitan Opera and was known for interpreting music of living American composers. Also, English director Peter Hall died last week at the age of 86. He was the founder of the Royal Shakespeare Company. 
And on this day, the premiere of The Secret by Smetna in Prague and Anna Netrebko is 46. That is your two-minute drill. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, and Oliver the Man Camacho. What? What? Eight traps. Eight traps turns forty-six. So we don't. I don't hear your microphone. So we're gonna wish her a happy birthday. You're though. there. Okay. Eight traps. Atrebs. Yeah, yeah, from now on, we will give you the update on Anna Trepko's age. Every every week, we will update you. <laughs> and uh, Jake Half, Jake Half had to cancel again. This is becoming a, a thing. You it, mean Jonas Kaufman? Yeah, but it's okay. going to be a thing now. It's just okay. the first letter of their yeah. first name. Yeah, I get what you're trying to do, but it'll be Kauf, Oh, I was talking about Jake. him dropping really? out of Really? Yeah. <laughs> Okach. That didn't sound quite right. That's not right. But yeah. T. Wright, T. Um, Wright, view. that could yeah. be on the back of your jersey. That's yeah. so boring. What yeah. number would you be, by the way, Toby? 29. Okay, okay, very good, uh, Oliver. You I had, have my reasons, but you I'm had, keep you had the first myself. story on this Oregon Bach Festival. All right, boys, okay. This, this so is, this, this is, is serious. This, is this serious. story deserves way more like nuance explanation than what we what we're going to be able to give here in the moment. But this thing has now escalated to like a national story in the New York Times when yeah. it was started out being sort of local and just within like the early music community. Oregon Bach Festival. Uh, was run for a long time by Helmut Ruling, who is like one of the icons of early music, but the old school way. And then Matthew Halls, who is much younger and handsome and like beautiful. Um, he is now the new music director at Oregon Bach Festival. And some of Helmut Ruling's like supporters have kind of left, like because they don't like the new the new fancy, smaller, more historically informed presentations. Okay. So there's that, there's that underlying thing just in the background. So um, it started as a story about Matthew Hall's getting fired because he said something racist. And he supposedly said something racist to Reggie Mobley, who is a very outspoken uh, and very like so pro-social justice uh, musician, countertenor, who is very vocal about... Yeah. Uh, about his feelings about things, and you would never he would never shy away from an opportunity to to confront somebody on their racism or their microaggression or anything like that, nor should you yeah, so he's friends with Matthew Halls, and they have this relationship where they joke with each other, and apparently somebody overheard the way they joke with each other, a white woman I'll just put it out there, and she was uncomfortable about it, and so she I guess reported to h r and Matthew Halls got fired. And it almost looks like they use that as an excuse to get rid of him. Mm. Because when they asked Reggie Mobley, he's like, well, you sort of got the story right. Yes, he did say this because we're really good friends and that's how we talk to each other. It's none of your business. It sounds you know? like so, they were screwing around. So yeah. It, what's interesting to me is that yeah. there's actually, there's a few issues at play. Okay. There is the fact that there, it seems like there wasn't um, great support for the director there for the music director for Meth- mm-hmm. uh, for Halls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it seems as if race was used as a way to... Uh, I, race is totally an issue here mm-hmm. to me. And I think that's separate from the one that is the uh, music director not having support. Yeah. And for me, what bothers me the most about this is I'm not sure, 
I guess we cannot confirm. Yeah. Are we sure that the person who brought this to HR was a white woman? Well, so the New York Times didn't report it as this as such, but all the other articles about this did mention that so, fact. So what's interesting to me is there's an article, and maybe we can share this on the website. Um, it is on the website. No, actually. no, no. I, there's an article that I read. Oh, okay. Uh, and the title of this article is 10 Counterproductive Behaviors of Well-Intentioned People. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is that you execute initiatives of change without the oppressed people at the table. Yeah. And so what was interesting is to read that Reggie Mobley had this all happen and he wasn't even involved in the inquiry into the yeah. situation. They didn't ask him how he felt. And in fact, he received an email from the artistic director that says, these insensitivities should not be tolerated. So someone told him how he should feel. Exactly. Uh, and so this article that I read... Um, uh, mostly done by well-intentioned white folks who are not inviting or trying hard enough to get black people at the planning table. Generally, what we and, end and up to with... to be clear, Reggie is black. I didn't say yes, that, but yeah. Reggie is black. Generally, what we end up with is a poorly planned event that is offensive or exclusive to the people that it is meant to serve. Um, this dynamic plays out with all other oppressed identities, which means that the more of us that we would like to admit... Hey, so... What bothers me about this is that this lady who reported it probably thought she was doing something of a service to Reggie. Yeah. And in reality, she didn't. She, that that was her privilege. And that bothers me because it neglected to take into consideration how he felt, what he thought. And then his friend loses a job. And so the marginalized and the oppressed here is now responsible for someone losing a job with whom he already shared a close personal relationship. And so the situation is beyond effed up, if I may say so. And furthermore, yeah. it's not like any classical music festival can afford to you know, lose somebody at the top and then have to pay them like a severance or like hush money. Because now Oregon Bach Festival, realizing that they messed up in this, has agreed to pay him like something like $90,000 to just like, okay, no... We won't talk about this anymore. We are not disparaging you. We just are parting ways here and take this money and like let's not talk about it ever again. You know? So if you're Halls, do you take the money? I mean, what choice does he have? I mean, just like, no, I don't want this money. I want to sue you. You know, it's like. Absolutely. Well, he took the money. So, yeah. I, and you know, that's unfortunate too. I'm I, sorry. He accepted the money? I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know about that, man. Oh, the, I thought it, it made it seem as if he had accepted the money. The in New York that article. Times article? I didn't think that was clear. Well, regardless, university officials agreed to pay Mr. Hall's $90,000 as part of a settlement with a non-disparagement clause. Okay. Well, then I'm wrong. But it it doesn't, doesn't say whether or not he accepted it. So maybe that's still up in the air. It's a complicated issue, boys. You, you both no, but, you set it up well. And, yeah, and, you it, and it, it deserves a long conversation. Yeah. All those things you said like are so true and resonate with me, and I really want to talk about that. We don't have time. Mm-hmm. But um, I just want to say that like I am not a millennial. Even though I'm, I live most of my life with millennials or even younger, and I'm part of this music community, which is heavy in the millennials, I am from the generation, Generation X, which just was so used to the microaggressions and to the slights mm-hmm. and to the kind of you know, systematic racism that it's actually hard to offend me these days, you know, but I think people have become so sensitive and I know I'm like probably in the line of fire by saying something like this, but I think that people just can't take a joke anymore. And yes, there's a time and a place for jokes, you know, and like, I think that there are people who are oppressed and they need to not be, there needs to be very, no more joking, you know, like let's 
let's be really clear about what you're saying when you make a joke, especially about like, well, but race. Well, you guys or about, had a relationship, and that's yeah, what bothers exactly, me. And exactly. then this other yeah. person, yeah, exactly, it is like the you said, it's made the decision you know? for him to be oppressed. Yeah. So just that's what on, bothers me about on it. A, we don't have much time, but on a related note, the women's march in Chicago, the one or that happened after January, yeah. yeah. I have a lot of people. I didn't go, but a lot of people who said it was not uh, racially diverse. And I have a friend, a very close friend who's very, very smart, who complained about it not being racially diverse. Okay. And she got so much backlash for saying that it wasn't racially diverse and only from white people. All right. Yeah, I'm not... <laughs> I, I'm not going to go. I can't go down that Yeah, way. there's so much. No. Anyway, let's go. Kira Takanawa. Oh, you have one thing you want to do. Well, I just want super quick. I just wanted to get to this story about this guy, Paul Van Anglin, who yeah. set up this contemporary music series in Rhode Island with this unbelievably large budget. All these names, Philip Glass, Andre Previn, Howard Shore. He did the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Mm-hmm. 100 professional musicians, a six-week series. This is back in July. And then it all fell apart when some of these donors... Failed to give. This guy, Van Anglin, he totally went off the grid and like wasn't returning emails and phone calls and was texting another producer to say, let the orchestra go because we don't have the money to pay them. It's basically just a, a huge mess. And I'm trying to think, like, where were the signs? Yeah, um, they're all over the place, I'm sure, you know? Well, yeah, hindsight's 2020. If, if you read even all still, the articles, like, the, like he also was going to be conducting some of these performances, and he showed up so unprepared for them. And right, well, okay, I know so big a, vanity project, yeah. and the guy didn't do his prep. And had the festival actually carried on with all the performances, he would have been much more debt than he is now, because he's only owing this money to people that he promised, and people who actually performed. But like, had he everybody gone through with everything, and he had to pay like artist fees for every concert that didn't hey, happen? You, you know? know what? It's like playing poker. If you think you're beat, you get out, and if you got the best hand, you make him pay. This mm-hmm. guy clearly knew he was beat, and so he got out to to save face and to save money. Even now, he's still on the hook for 120 grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. It's so messed up. I mean, people no, probably gave did. up. Pro- people probably gave up work. To be a part of that festival. I think you know, I may so. have just the cursed myself. The now. entire, yeah. u- I mean, everybody thought there was a union contract in the yeah. orchestra, including yeah. the guy who was the orchestra contractor. I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> the world's most famous New Zealander. Kirito yeah, I, so I, I love Kirito Kano. She's one of my favorites. She's gorgeous. And oh, the quote she at the end so of this beautiful. article is sad. I know. I mean, this yeah. is, that's exactly yeah. what I wanted to say about this. That this is really sad. Yeah. But I respect her for making that decision. She's an amazing teacher, and she will yeah. carry on as yeah. a brilliant instructor. Yeah. And I will love her recordings and her video, and her video clips. She, she's just, just gorgeous and a gorgeous voice. But hey, you know what? She's a classy she, she, lady. She knows, she's a classy lady, yeah. and she knew... She knew, knows, yeah. when to quit yeah. and when to say that uh, that's enough. Did you want to add anything that's actually kind um, of admirable. about Brenda Lewis, Oliver? No, I mean, there's just like, if you if you read the New York Times obit, there's a really like kind of sweet anecdote at the end of it about her wearing contact lenses for the first time and how the first time she got on stage with contact lenses, she actually saw the audience and like the lights and it scared the beep out of her, and she decided never to wear them again. And she talked about being able to see the uh, the sob with the baton. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I didn't, I couldn't stand seeing that yeah. guy either. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to oh, wrap the show up? Cute. Aww. Aww, let's do it. Bad call on Opera Box Score. 
Oh, but it goes fast around here. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, everybody, on Opera Box Score. It's been a good show. I hope I get to see these operas that I now pledged I was going to see. Uh, you didn't pledge to see anything. You no, no, I said, Rigoletto. No, 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 no. That's not true. He's, I, he's I said I would for... go see Valkura okay. with, uh, with Toby. Okay. And Oliver. Maybe. It's Do you have a box good call date. or a bad call? I have a good call or... just because it was a, my original pick for the fall, which is actually happening very soon. Uh, next week, uh, Haymarket Opera uh, makes its debut at the Studebaker Theater, and they'll be performing a basically unheard of Moran Murray opera called uh, Ariane Bacchus, uh, Ariadne and Bacchus. Um, it's one of my favorite subject matters. I love that tale. And Murray is known for his vile music. And if you ever saw the movie Tout le Matin du Monde, uh, All the Mornings of the World, that's Moran Murray music. It's gorgeous early French Baroque music. And all, of, all those composers back then wrote operas. So we never heard of Murray opera before in Chicago. I'm very excited about it. Costumes, decadence, Chicons, Pasacalias. I love it. Tobias, right? Um, I didn't really. I never. You know, it's funny. We do good call, bad call every week, and I never really yeah. planned. For <laughs> You're always it. grateful to be here. And I'm just like <laughs> happy to be around you guys. <laughs> uh, no, I got to see a bunch of family this weekend, and that was a good thing. So that's my good call. I saw oh, people family. that made me happy. I got a good call too. College football season is finally back, Yay. and my Saturdays so have bad. meaning again. That's but it you can't watch TV. You're Jewish. On Saturday? Yeah. No, you can you get can't a dis- turn it on. No, no, you get a dispensation from the rabbi for football. Okay. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. And on Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Do us a favor by leaving a review, please. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera when you go apple picking this weekend. Hey, it's that time of year. We're back next Monday at 9 p.m. Central with more hot takes on everything opera-related. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago.